0: Topic thirteen third paper of twentieth century negro literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Twentieth century negro literature. Topic thirteen third paper by george w murray what should be the negro's attitude in politics by hon george w murray george washington murray was born september twenty second eighteen fifty three of slave parents near rembert sumter county south carolina emancipation found him a lad of eleven summers bereft of both parents without a friend upon whom to rely for either aid or advice in an impoverishing section he entered upon the fierce combat then in progress for the indispensable bread of life among the waifs of his neighborhood in eighteen sixty six he learned the alphabet and acquired an imperfect pronunciation of monosyllables in efforts to improve his meagre stock of knowledge during the succeeding five years he so industriously applied himself that in january eighteen seventy one he entered a day school while in session for the first time but as teacher not scholar he taught until the fall of eighteen seventy four when he successfully passed a competitive examination and secured a scholarship as sub-freshman in the reconstructed university of south carolina he was successfully employed as a teacher until february eighteen ninety when he secured an appointment as inspector of customs at the port of charleston south carolina entering the political arena in the contest for the republican nomination for congress in eighteen ninety two he successfully won the stake and was placed in the general election against general e w one of the most brilliant wealthy and popular democrats in the state whom he finally defeated and was declared elected to the fifty-third congress he was again elected to the fifty-fourth congress and counted out but contested and was finally seated he was again elected to the fifty-fifth and fifty-sixth congresses and counted out and failed to be seated after strong contests since his retirement from congressional contests seeing the primary and crying need of his race is a larger per cent of the ownership of homes and the impossibility of securing them in the desired space of time under the prevailing circumstances where the necessaries of life and rents consume the entire resources year after year he has applied himself to the development of a scheme of buying large estates and cutting them into small holdings and giving long periods of time in which to pay for homes receiving about the usual rents as payments he now has about two hundred families located on about nine thousand acres of land and is adding from two thousand to three thousand acres to his territory each year he has already secured twelve letters patent on a multiple farming machine that is destined to revolutionize farming methods without his request upon the demand of the president himself he was recently appointed division internal revenue deputy collector for the district of south carolina to the casual observer the above query is easy of solution but it is at the same time engaging the profoundest attention and thought of the wisest statesmen and the greatest philanthropists and humanitarians it is especially difficult to the black victims of present political environments with a proportionate share of all the elements of strength intelligence wealth business and character the negro's attitude politically should and would be the same as that of the other members of society the writer presumes that in dealing with the question at issue he is territorially restricted to the ex-slaveholding portions of the united states as the negro's political status in the rest of the territorial limits of the country differs so little from that of other members of society as we see it the mistake of the nineteenth century was the attempt to make the ex-slave a governor before he had learned to be governed it seems that members of the race have not even yet learned that governments have their origin and growth in the necessities originating in the business and wealth of mankind and have attained their greatest perfection where there is most business and wealth the naked wandering savage has the lowest order of governments because in that state he has need for no other and could not support any higher if twenty intelligent and progressive men settle down in the midst of a hundred thousand such savages they will immediately set about establishing business accumulating wealth and will very naturally organize in self-defense and in time rule the ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and eighty others when just emerging from the shambles of two and a half centuries of slavery and enforced ignorance penniless and without experience it was a serious blunder to have placed the negroes in such a position as to make them responsible for the government they were not only without the necessary intelligence and experience for its successful operation but all the resources essential to its maintenance were in the hands of the minority class and they were without the ability to compel any contribution for its support placed upon the wrong track in the primary stages of emancipation the race spent its energy in trying to control the kind of government that other people's business and resources made necessary instead of trying to acquire the elements which would have made it welcome as part owners and rulers of that government such conditions as resulted from the plans and policies pursued in the rehabilitation of civil government after the war of the rebellion very naturally created great friction between the former master class possessing practically all the business wealth and experience though in the minority in many localities and the former slave class without business wealth and experience on the other hand the master class determined that in self-defence it had to organize to repossess itself of governmental control which was then in the hands of the slave class and withheld its support from the government which the latter class was helpless to compel without the strong compelling arm of the federal government which the peaceful and considerate judgment of mankind would no longer sustain in maintaining such conditions whereupon all over the south where the ex-slave class controlled merely by reason of numbers its power and influence failed until to-day it finds itself absolutely shorn of power even so much as is necessary to protect its property family and life while it may be both unjust and unwise for a class in the condition of the former slave class to absolutely control a government made necessary by the resources of others yet it is a cruel wrong to deprive it even of that influence that is absolutely necessary for the protection of family property and life the paramount issue of southern negroes should not be political office but the possession of such political influence as is necessary for the protection of their property and lives while it is desirable that as many negroes as possible be provided for at the official pie-counter the all-important issue in my humble judgment is the equality of civil and political rights without which we are in some measure worse off than slaves deprived of that influence which selfish interests always impel the master class to give in defense of his property rights the emancipated class must possess a counter voting power somewhere within its own personality which an untrammelled ballot alone affords wisdom dictates that the negro should speedily assume the task of producing such conditions as will give the needed influence this brings us to the question at issue what should be the negro's attitude politically in short whatever attitude would prove most beneficial to him the negro should adapt himself to it until he shall have acquired sufficient strength along all lines to occupy and maintain an independent position and shape the course of action to suit his fancy and convenience the difference in the treatment of colored men north and south is not half so much on account of a difference in the education and customs of the white people in the respective sections as from the difference between the business intellectual and political status of the members of the colored race itself in the two sections coupled with the fact that the white man possessing practically all the business wealth culture and experience in the north is divided into political camps each controlling influence sufficient to protect each constituent member however weak while in the south he is united in one political party which wholly destroys the colored man's influence and partially his own in fact in the north the combined wealth culture and influence of the entire party with which he is allied overshadows and protects his rights both public and private and this brings us to the question at issue what should be the negro's attitude politically upon this question there are as many opinions as there were colors in joseph's coat some advise that we solidly vote the republican ticket others that we should all vote the democratic ticket still another class advise us to divide our vote and another class advise us not to vote at all there may be a grain of truth in each one of the above theories but for all times and occasions each one is essentially false under present environments it appears that we accomplish nothing by voting the republican ticket and gain no more by voting the democratic ticket than we would by not voting at all to us the all-important task is to find a way to make our ballot effective though throughout the south a cruel and savage spirit seems triumphant let the negro take courage for god is still ruling and the very machinery that has been set in motion for his political destruction is hastening the day of his political regeneration the reduction of the negro's vote to an insignificant fraction which does away with the possibility of absolute negro control is not an unmixed evil as it entirely destroys the foundation of the scarecrow of negro supremacy which has been used as a great welding hammer to forge the white race with so many divergent views and opinions into one political mass while the standards of wealth and intelligence raised as a bar to his progress are causing the negro as never before to bestir himself in efforts to reach them thus it is seen that his would-be enemy destroys the welding hammer at one fell blow sets in motion irresistible currents that will inevitably find outlets in the broad ocean of the political freedom of both races and arouse in the negro by the standard set up the very desirable incentive to make preparation for the enjoyment of the destined freedom which the fates seem bent on bringing him once more the wonderful hand of providence is using man's malice and prejudice as his own marvellous highway of hope to bring good results from evil intentions let the poor desponding negro way down in the valley of degradation and oppression continue to be industrious honest and frugal and pray and god will again hitch his own all-powerful steeds of hope to his chariot of despondency and oppression and riding over the mountains of man's folly manifested in unjust rules and practices in defiance of his will will draw him upon the broad eminence of joy gladness and hope end of topic thirteen third paper